Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? She's so vanilla. Leave my teen <laughs> films alone. How badly yeah. did we do? Oh. We did so badly, Gavin. For the first five or ten minutes, I really did hate it. The first ten minutes, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is so annoying. Oh, such a punish. Okay, there we go. That's how much I didn't know. I can't wait, Gavin. I can't wait. Have we reached peak reboot, Claire? Can't (laughs) understand it. Don't know what's going on. You actually are left shaking your head wondering what the hell's going on. Since we're making another one. Welcome back to Binge List, Who Magazine's TV podcast. And that's right, I'm not Matthew Denby, he's off on holiday. So you're stuck with me, Gavin Scott, and Claire Rigdon to talk about TV. Hi, Claire. Hi. It feels weird not having Matthew Denby here. It does. It's like the school kids are running the show. I know, I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm already missing his dulcet tones. Yes, yes. Well, well, we'll struggle on and do our best without him because we do have a lot to talk about this week, including some of the winners of the recent Emmy Awards that we didn't talk about before and some exciting new reboots. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's do this. All right. Now, our first reboot is the new version of Heathers, which comes to Stan on September 28. And back in 1988, the movie Heathers was a revelation. Darker and more cynical than the teen films that had followed where John Hughes led, it dealt with issues of bullying, teen suicide, eating disorders, and more. It also helped turn Winona Ryder and Christian Slater into stars. And it was set at fictional Westerberg High, and that was ruled by a clique of croquet-playing mean girls known as the Hmm. Heathers. And they were called the Heathers because they were all called Heather. And Shannon Doherty was one. You you might remember them. If you haven't seen the film, you might um, remember that Shannon Doherty and Winona were in it. Winona played Veronica Sawyer, who wasn't a Heather, obviously, but she used to hang out with the Heathers. And together with bad boy JD, she fought back against those mean girls. And, you know, that kind of resulted in a number of deaths. It was all pretty dark. So 30 years later, we're back at Westerberg in a reboot of Heathers, this time as a TV series. And it's just as dark, covering a lot of the same territory. But there are some differences, especially when it comes to the Heathers themselves. Isn't that right, Claire? Yeah, there sure are. Um, I... I need to say that, first of all, I'm a massive Heathers fan. I think out of all the films that I grew up watching in the 80s and 90s, this is the one that I know the best. I can still quote the entire movie, uh, including some of those uh, now iconic lines like, what's your damage, Heather? So I was always going to be intrigued by this and um, I checked it out and Yeah, like I feel very conflicted, Gav, because on the one hand, I literally almost lost my mind with excitement when I I realised that they were going to remake this. So my first question was, will they get the original cast back? Will Shannon Doherty be back? And spoiler alert, she does. She pops in. Pops. For about 25 seconds in the first episode. (laughs) 
Um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the most obvious question was, would will you know, will Winona and perhaps they might have got Winona on board with this if it wasn't for the fact that a little show called Stranger Things came about around the same time and she got snapped up by that and voila, career resurgence. So nobody's really back and it's totally been rebooted and it's fascinating actually because the three there's still three popular kids called Heather, but the difference is that Heather Chandler, the Queen Bee, is sort of a body positive, um, sort of <laughs> gender fluid, politically correct mean girl. So she polices the school with an iron fist, making sure that people aren't slut shaming or fat shaming and being friend to all LBTQI kids. It's hilarious. And one of her side sidekick Heathers is actually um, a guy who identifies as being female and has called himself or herself Heather. So yeah, they've turned it on its head and it kind of messed with my brain a little bit. Gav, what did you think of it all? Because this show has a pretty controversial sort of story, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it's very interesting. I, I think um, the fact that in back in 1988, the kind of kids who would have been bullied are now the mean girls and, and, and the bullies. That's very 2018. It has flipped it on its head, as you said. And, and yeah, the, the third Heather, who you didn't mention, is a lesbian, or so she claims. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you've got the overweight girl, you've got the lesbian, and you've got the, the guy called Heath who identifies as Heather. They're the mean girl clique, which is, yeah, which, which is, never would have happened in 1988. So that's, um, that's really interesting. Um, but other than that, a lot of it is kind of the same. And it does go into that territory of teen suicide and, you know, JD encouraging Veronica to kill off people at school. And, and she doesn't know what's happening. And then, oh, someone's dead. Oh, was it us? Was it an accident? That kind of thing. All that kind of stuff that was in the original film is in there again. Yeah. And I don't know, in a post-13 Reasons Why world where, you know, a lot of people got quite concerned about 13 Reasons Why and, and the way it portrayed suicide, and I feel like, and I've said this before, 13 Reasons Why did it in a very sensitive way, um, Heather's is just, yeah, like it did back in the day, making jokes about it, kind of making it seem a little bit frivolous in a way. Yeah. And I don't know, if, if it was okay in 1988, why isn't it okay in 2018? I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting because this series actually was made at the end of 2016 mm. and um, it was always slated for a early 2018 premiere on its US network. But then the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shootings happened and they put it on hold because obviously – this uh, reboot, much like the original movie, has to do with high school violence and bloodshed and suicide and all the things that were pretty sensitive after what happened at that high school and the subsequent movement for gun control, led in part by young people. So then they sort of said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll pop this back in the schedule for July. And then it's just tragic, really. Another high school shooting happened. And in a very unusual move, the US network actually said, you know what, in good conscience, we cannot find a home for this on US 
on our US network. You know, we we stand we stand with these young people and um, in abhorring high school violence. And so they they actually ended up trying to shop it internationally. And that's where Stan came to the party in Australia. So they picked up the rights to show it over here. Because to be honest, I don't think it's ever going to get a birth on US television. People mm. will have to watch it via overseas streaming sites. So it's all, it's been, yeah, it's kind of interesting how it's been so hot and button and controversial right from the get-go. Mm. Um, yeah, it just makes it even more fascinating. And I think there was part of that in the back of my mind when I went to watch it. And it wasn't as good as I thought that it would be. It didn't have as much interesting things to say as I thought it would have. But it, um, as the, the, the new version showrunner, this guy called Jason McAuliffe, he, he basically says that it's, um, it's a love letter to the original movie and there's actually lots of little Easter eggs and hidden kind of nods to the original. Mm. So if you are a big fan of the 80s version, you'll see that they're everywhere in the first episode including whole swaths of dialogue which are just lifted from the original Big but yeah gab it's 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 really interesting isn't it uh, did you actually like it because i'm not 100 percent sure that i liked it yeah i didn't love it i um with respect to you know using dialogue from the original film that there were as you said whole slabs of dialogue like that scene between veronica and her dad where she goes because you're an idiot and then the mum goes oh, yeah, oh yeah. you too that was basically <laughs> word for word in in the first episode and you know while on one hand i'm like oh yeah there's that scene oh i love that scene the other side of me is like oh yeah that felt a bit forced and like they were like we've got to get this dialogue in push it in push it in so yeah it it felt like it was trying a little bit too hard to be you know channeling the original and yeah. didn't have enough of its own story to tell because and I, I went into episode two and episode three and I kind of lost oh you made it to episode three yeah I was wondering if it just needed to find its pace a little bit well I just I, I don't know if it has it's enough of its own story I, I don't know if it have if it has legs for a TV series and maybe it was enough as a film that made a really strong point and did it in a short period of time as opposed to a series that kind of drags it on and drags it on I mean in one of the subsequent episodes there is another suicide um, and it's treated a little bit like a joke and I found that um yeah, I found that a little bit uncomfortable. I but feel- it kind of it kind of is in the original movie as well. You know, when Ram, the the high school jock, you know, gets yeah. killed, and they kind of frame it to be like a gay a gay suicide, and like that was kind of a little bit of a gag in the original film with the dad at the funeral going, "I love my big gay son." You know, like that's become a bit of an immortal line. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, it does it just feel a little bit icky now? Do you think that they're kind of it, it yeah. does, and I, I, maybe it's just because it's not done as cleverly, or it's not done as well. I I don't know. I I just feel like um, it has, it's like when they remade Scream. I loved Scream, and I loved most of the Scream films. Maybe not number three, but one, two, and four <laughs> were all pretty good. And then they made it into the TV show, and, and at first I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" And then by episode five, I'm like, "Yeah, okay, it's you know, what's the point of this?" I think also you can't understate what a great film this was. It's Mm. one of the rare flicks that you can watch from that era now and it still more than stands up. Like it's a really, really good story. And I think that the thing you really can't fake and was a huge part of the reason why Teenage Claire was obsessed with it was the chemistry between Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Mm. Now, Winona was 16 when she filmed this. Like, she was only a couple of years older than I was at the time, and yet she looked about 25, let's be honest. (laughs) But her and Christian Slater were babies. They were really young. 
and they were on the precipice of huge, huge stardom. And they're just so great in it. Like, you know, Christian Slater, I was obsessed with him in this movie. I reckon I dated a whole swath of really suspect dudes in my 20s because I was trying to emulate JD. And the guy they've got playing JD and the girl they've got playing Veronica are just not not that charismatic. What did you think? No, I agree. And the fact that it's taken us this long to actually talk about them says it all. We've talked about the Heathers. We haven't talked about Veronica and JD. And that's because, oh, yeah, I kind of forget that they're in it half the time. Especially uh, Veronica, she's so vanilla and so white. Like the thing about the thing about Winona's character was that she almost played it a little bit emo, and that was really interesting back in 1988. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. I, I think overall, um, yeah, it, it's a great kind of nostalgia trip, and as you said, it's, it's a love letter to the original film. That part's great, seeing, you know, the, the croquet mallets and, and, you know, seeing Shannon Doherty with the red scrunchie, spoiler alert, yeah. and all that kind of stuff is, is fun and great, and you go, oh, yeah, there's that, there's that. But then That be- was the best bit, in my opinion, and it was like 25 seconds long. Yeah, and then beyond that, it's like, what is the point of this show? So, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, maybe it doesn't have enough of a point. Yeah, have a little look if you're interested like me and you love the movie. And then if it doesn't grab you, turn it off and go back and watch the original. Do you know what? Stan's probably got the original showing as well. Like, just go go seek it out because it is such a great film. That's right. And I tell you what, if anyone touches Pump Up the Volume, I'm going to get really oh. cross. Oh, my God. Nobody can play Happy Harry Hardcore. That's another film I know all the words to. Gavin, we were living parallel lives on different sides of the country. (laughs) Leave my teen (laughs) films alone. Oh, I love them as well. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check out Heather's, it starts on Stan on September 28th. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. So, Claire, a couple of uh, episodes ago we talked about the Emmy Awards and we gave our predictions for who we thought would win. How badly did we do? We did so badly, Gavin. And, I, you know, like we are both people who get paid to to be knowledgeable about television and we both got it. We were way off the mark. We thought Handmaid's was going to scoop the pool. And it got and nothing. And it barely cracked a mess. Yeah, it got nothing. It's just like I couldn't believe it. And a lot of the things that have barely caused a ripple in Australia, like Godless and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, like, granted, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is on Amazon Prime here and not very many people subscribe to that service. So it totally has passed us by and it just absolutely romped it home. It did, it did. Funny you should mention that because that's the next show we're going to talk about. It walked, yeah. walked away with basically all the comedy awards. Okay, it won Outstanding Comedy, uh, Outstanding Lead Actress, Outstanding Supporting Actress, and then Writing and Director for its creator, Amy Sherman Palladino, who is the lady in the wacky hat. So <laughs> we, we haven't discussed or even watched the show before now, so we thought we'd better check it out. Claire, fill us in. Look, it's really interesting. As someone who really hates the Gilmore Girls and really, really hated the reboot. I really thought I was going to load this because obviously Amy Sherman Palladino is the woman behind Gilmore Girls and her and her husband produced this as well. And I have to admit, for the first five or ten minutes, I really did hate it because it really sounded like that snappy, um, pithy dialogue that she's very well known for. And I persevered and I'm so glad that I did because I'm a tiny little bit in love with it now. So for those that aren't in the know, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is all about a 1950s housewife who finds herself becoming a stand-up comedian. And I'm not going to give you too much of an insight into how this occurs, but it all kind of happens in the first episode. And it's really, really interesting because I really didn't see the events of the first episode coming. And I, I really 
I wasn't expecting it to go off in the way that it did. And I really loved how silly and sweet it all was. I mean, there are some seriously funny lines in this. For example, um, after Midge, who's the main character, Midge Maisel, uh, after she gets drunk on kosher wine, she finds herself at this stand-up comedy club called The Gaslight and she sort of accidentally ends up on stage having a rant and inadvertently it becomes her very first stand-up gig. She's a little bit appalled um, because something happens and I won't tell you what it is, but... And there's a line where she says, tonight was an isolated incident. There, there, there are medications I can take to make sure this never happens again. And I just loved that. I loved the idea that she was trying to shake off the 1950s housewife tag and make something more of her life. And I also loved, loved, loved the fashion and the sets in this. They're just great. And I can see why everyone's been raving about this for the last six months over in the States. It's really, really good fun. Gav, what did you think? Yeah, no, I agree. Having now watched it, and I think I'm up to about episode four, I got a, oh, cool. I binged hard over the weekend. I would say yes, it did deserve all those Emmys, especially the acting ones. Rachel Brosnahan is is fantastic as uh, she's so great. Miriam quote Midge Maisel. She's uh, yeah, you know, she's married. She's got two kids. She's a wealthy Jewess in the uh, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, can never Upper remember. West Side, upper West think, Side of yeah. New York. Um, you know, ha- has everything, and uh, then suddenly takes this really interesting life change. Uh, and as yeah, I won't spoil exactly how it happens, like Claire, but it's yeah, it's a really interesting um, character development. But uh, I will agree with you, Claire. The first 10 minutes I was like, oh, my gosh, this woman is so annoying. Oh, such a punish. And (laughs) the thing is, as someone who loves – I don't know about you, Gav, but I grew up watching Lucille Ball and I Love Lucy and I used to be on on Saturdays, I think it was, Saturday afternoons, and I I was absolutely loved Lucille Ball. And when you think about it, she was so ahead of her time. I mean, it was – she was a pretty amazing woman and there's a lot of parallels between her and and this character, you know, so I I can't Mm. wait to see where this goes. And, yeah, you're so right about the acting. It's just so great. Oh, Rachel is just amazing in this. She's good. could have been a really grating character, as you say, the way that Amy writes a lot of her dialogue and the way that she presents a lot of her female characters. You know, it really is that love it or hate it kind of thing. But I yes. really, I really did start to love it. And I, I'm, I'm completely smitten with her as a character now. Yeah, by the end of the episode, I was really on board with her as well. She's, yeah, love her or hate, a million miles an hour, hour character. She's like Lorelai Gilmore. If Lorelai Gilmore lived in the, in the 1950s. And it's funny how certain writers have a real style with their dialogue. I find that the same is true of Shonda Rhimes, who obviously yeah. writes Grey's Anatomy and How to Get Away with Murder. And Tina Fey as well. Has yeah. Very... And this is very – the cadence of the dialogue feels very Gilmore Girls in parts, yeah. that rapid-fire delivery without the coffee at Luke's. Now, the other Emmy winner was Alex Borstein, whose name you may not know, but whose voice you definitely will if you are a fan of Family Guy. For all these years, she's been voicing Lois, the wife from Family Guy. It wasn't until you said that to me earlier that I put two and two together, and now I can't unhear it. And that's the thing. You close your eyes, and you're like, oh, Lois is in this. But um, (laughs) she plays this hard-ass who works at the comedy club where Midge ends up performing. And it's really interesting seeing her in the flesh after all these years of hearing her voice. But she, um, she's a great role. She's not wealthy. She's not from the Upper West Side. She's, yeah, she's kind of the exact opposite from Midge. And uh, the two of them form this unlikely friendship, which is great to see. I'm going to be interested to see how that develops. Did you like um, her character as well? Uh, Su- yeah, I loved Susie, it. I yeah, think her character. really, really interesting, really cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things in this that you 
that, you know, in anyone else's hands could be a little bit hackneyed, a little bit kind of forced, but I don't know. They're just all, it's so well written Mm. that you kind of find yourself just getting swept along with it. Like I, everyone always raves about Mad Men and from an aesthetics point of view, that's really the only other show that I can think that looks in a similar way to this. But um, I never really loved that show because I never really liked the characters, mm-hmm. not even Elizabeth Moss's character. Like I just couldn't gel with them, whereas this instantly I was like, oh, yeah, and I just was obsessed with all her outfits. She's got this fabulous pink coat that she wears in the first episode and I spent sort of two-thirds of it going, hmm, how can I find myself a coat like that? So, yeah, I, I would say if, if, you know, don't just take our word for it. If you don't subscribe to Amazon Prime already, take advantage of their one free month trial period to watch this. Yeah, uh, just watch it. Watch yeah. it for free. That's and right. Bail out. Well, and then you may want to subscribe because season two is due later in the year. So, uh, yes, <gasps> season one now, season two coming. TV news. That's right. It's TV news time. And its previous three seasons have generated much debate about refugees and asylum seekers. And now SBS are upping the ante with Go Back to Where You Came From. Once again, a mix of celebrities and everyday people, all with differing attitudes to the refugee crisis, will experience what displaced people go through, but this time is going to happen in real time. That's right, Go Back to Where You Came From is going live. Ray Martin and Janice Peterson will be in the studio locally, while Michelle Laurie, Gretel Colleen, Jackie Lambie, and Speeder Everett, who is an AFL player, which I didn't know. Spider. Uh, Spider. Spider. Okay, there we go. That's how much I didn't know. Um, (laughs) And a number of quote-unquote normal people will be taken to hotspots around the world. Claire, what have you made of this show in previous seasons and are you excited about this new live version? Yeah, I'm, 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 I don't know if excited is the word, but Maybe I'm intrigued. I'm, I really don't know how they're going to play it out. I'm, I am very familiar with this and it's a show that I've been incredibly um, excited about in the past. It, it's a very interesting format and, um, and one that generates a lot of chatter. I actually think it should be required viewing for all Australian politicians, particularly our new Prime Minister, ScoMo, because I, I challenge anyone actually to watch this and not feel a huge amount of empathy for people who have gone through things. I mean, taking people back literally to where they came from, reversing the journey is such an interesting concept. And the thing that I always find most interesting is the people that they get who are perhaps on the far right or perhaps have very set ideas about the experience of refugees and asylum seekers. And they're quite often the people that have the biggest epiphanies during during the course of this series and actually you know you can see you can see them change I don't know how that's going to play out in real time and I don't know whether that's going to mean that we're going to give a platform to a whole lot of people whose views possibly shouldn't be on prime time look but in this day and age I think it's really important to discuss and to be open to listening to the other side of the argument so I think that this can only be a good thing it's incredibly um it's incredibly admirable that they're trying to pull this off. I have no idea what it's going to be like, but I can tell you one thing, I'll be watching. Yeah, no, there are definitely going to be some pre-recorded uh, elements to it and then I think they'll be crossing over live to, to certain bits of it. So I don't think it's all going to be completely live, but um, they will be following people's journeys live and it's over a few nights, so um, there'll be development as, as it happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been one of SBS's biggest shows. As you said, it's generated a lot of chatter, you know, 
trending worldwide on Twitter, and it is good to see them doing something new with it. We chatted to Michelle Laurie, who, uh, you know, the, the comedian uh, and radio uh, personality, before she went on the journey, and here's what she had to say about, you know, why she did it and, and what she was thinking about it. But I, I was excited about giving other people an opportunity to tell their stories because uh, I feel like often in Australia people say, why don't other people speak up? Why don't they uh, speak up to, you know, condemn certain behaviour or whatever? And I think, well, because they don't have their own radio shows or TV shows. Like the only people on TV and radio in Australia generally are white men. Or, you know, occasionally white ladies are allowed to be on television too. So, uh, and then the radio. So I thought, oh, well, this is a really great opportunity to um, help people tell their stories. I already just have so much respect for anybody who moves to a new country and starts their life again. But to move, I, I, I genuinely do have friends who have um, come to Australia as refugees. I have some Iranian friends who came to Australia uh, on boats and came through Christmas Island and it, that just amazes me that you could come to Australia and, and restart your life with nothing and come through that process um, because you want to be Christian and that's illegal in Iran and um, you know to have that level of commitment to your religious beliefs yeah, to fight that hard for them and to fight that hard because that's how you want to raise your children and so I expect that I will come home feeling even more pathetic about how little I do with the lucky life that I've been gifted. So that was Michelle Laurie, who is one of the celebrities taking part in Go Back to Where You Came From Live, and that commences on SBS on October 2. And now from one extreme to the other, I guess you could say, uh, we talked about the Heather's revival earlier. Well, there was big news over the weekend when it was announced that there will be another revival coming. That's right. There's going to be another season of Veronica Mars. Hooray! Squeal! Squeal! Do you think it's because they heard the binge list talking about how much we wanted to see it happen? I reckon, yeah, I reckon uh, they listened to the binge Entirely, entirely. Um, <laughs> both uh, Kristen Bell, who of course plays Veronica Mars, and creator Rob Thomas, who is not the Matchbox 20 singer, took to, <laughs> they both took to Twitter to announce the news. And uh, yeah, let's have a listen to how Kristen broke the news. This is a very important marshmallow announcement. Did you guys know that as of summer 2019, all the old Veronica Mars episodes will be available on Hulu to stream and rewatch? Which is great, because you'll need to brush up, since we're making another one! So that was Kristen Bell announcing the fact that there will be a, I guess it's a fourth season of Veronica Mars. Now, this isn't the first time that the, uh, well, she's not a teen anymore, but it started out she was a teen detective. She was a high school detective. By now she's, um, yeah, well into her 20s, 30s, I guess. Um, And it's not the first time the show has been revived. It came back for a one-off film in 2014, and that was partly funded by a Kickstarter campaign. And there'll be eight new episodes. Production's going to start in October, and it will air at some point in 2019. Now, Claire... Amazing. A long time ago, we used to obsess about Veronica Mars together. (laughs) We did. A long time ago, we used to sit next to each other at another magazine, and we would debrief. And I think it was back in the day, Gavin, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was uh, pre-internet streaming sites where we would have to get our US correspondent to tape it 
put it in an overnight jiffy bag, wrap some bubble wrap around it and send us the VHS. Yes. In those, I think that that's what used to happen. Shout out to uh, Hollywood Foreign Press correspondent Jenny Cooney, <laughs> who's probably listening to this podcast. Uh, side note, she has an excellent podcast called Aussies in Hollywood, which you should totally check out. But, yeah, Jenny used to take this for Gav and I. We would, like, watch it and just obsess about it. And, uh, yeah, so I am absolutely stoked. I don't know how Kristen Bell's going to find the time to do this because, obviously, she's heavily involved with the Good Place production, which I, uh, oh, we need to talk about that as well because that's come, the new series of The Good Place is coming up imminently, I think, in a week's time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think it's on hiatus at the moment. So it sounds like she's going to go back to back and start filming that. But I couldn't be happier. I think last time we chatted about this was during our teen drama special. And um, Kristen said that she didn't care how long it took to make it. She was going to make it, whether it meant that they do a sort of Agatha Christie <laughs> um, murder she wrote version of it. So we should probably be pleased that it hasn't got to that point. But I, I just can't, I can't wait, Gavin. I can't wait. I'm, I'm excited now. Rob didn't do a video announcement, but he did say on Twitter the movie was nostalgic. The Hulu limited series, and Hulu's a, a US streaming site. The Hulu limited series isn't going to be nostalgic. Hardcore SoCal noir. One big case. Ooh. Eight episodes to tell the story. This is a detective show. And I I love the idea of an ongoing mystery like it was in the old days, seasons one, two, and three. Apparently it's going to be about a serial killer terrorising Neptune, which is um, not the planet, the the place in um, San San Diego where they they live. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited that it's kind of going to be old school Veronica Mars. None of this um, one-off movie that – I don't know, the movie – I can't even remember what happened in the movie. I didn't love it. Me neither. Me neither. I loved it. I watched it on the plane. It wasn't something I was going to pay money to see, but I did I did quite like it. And um but I could I tell you anything about it? No, not one thing. <laughs> no. No, I did yeah, I mean I didn't hate it, but it was just kind of like, oh, okay. I, I she she ended up with what's his face, didn't she? And I was like, no, because you're either, you know, you were either camp peers or yeah, anyway. Or Logan. 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 Logan yeah, that's who it and... was. God, Logan's a douche, isn't he? Oh man. Just Aren't us. all Logans? <laughs> Uh, all of them are. There's actually. a Logan. But no, I can't wait to see. And I can't wait to see Keith Mars back as well. Oh, oh my yes. God. He's yeah. so great. Now, interestingly, this season uh, in America, this will be in the next TV season, which is beginning now in America, that they begin in their fall, our spring. Uh, so Veronica Mars will be one of a number of reboots. We have Murphy Brown coming back with the original cast. Magna- Yawn. Magnum coming back, but with not with Tom Selleck, with a new, I think he's Hispanic, the actor, Magnum. Ooh. And Charmed is coming back with uh, with a new cast. And then rumours about Bewitched, The Nanny, Mad About You. Have we reached peak reboot, Claire? Yes, I think we have, actually. I think it needs to stop with Veronica Mars, <laughs> make that, and then be done with it. Next, we'll have bloody Friends being rebooted, which I, just for the record, don't think should ever happen. Um, yeah, look, I can't get excited about the Murphy Brown reboot. I can't get excited about Magnum unless they were bringing back Tom Selleck with his mo and his, like, fairy Manchester. That is the only thing that could entice me to watch a Magnum PI reboot. And I don't know, but which could be kind of fun. I'd quite like to see the Jetsons make a comeback. That was my all-time favourite old-school cartoon. And they wouldn't have aged at all. No, no. I really, and like, George, yeah, that like literally is the only thing I can think that I would like to see 
Um, so yeah, it's a it's a hard hard pass from me on all of everything except Veronica Mars and the Jetsons. The end. Full stop. I, I'm relatively interested to see Murphy Brown just because I feel like the way that she stouched the character in the show stouched with um, uh, politics at the time. I think it's it's the right time for a character like Murphy Brown to be back on TV in the Trump era. Oh, she annoyed me the first time. I reckon she'll <laughs> annoy me even more the second time. I think it could be interesting, and also her son. You know, the son that caused all the trouble with um, was it Dan Quayle? Um, you know, calling her an unwed mother and, you know, the scourge of society. Oh, and that's all that kind of, right. Um, that son who caused all that drama is all grown up now. And he's in, mm. uh, he's, he's in the reboot. He's played by um, oh, Jake Dornan, I think is the actor's name. He was in Greek and he was in Limitless. And uh, mm. he, he plays a grown-up Avery. So I'm interested to see that. But, uh, but yeah, I kind of, oh, feel like, yeah. kind of feel like too many reboots. You know, come up with some original ideas, people. Yeah, I know. It's just a bit much. I mean, yeah, but then you, but then on the other side of that, you have Maniac, which is about the most original idea that you can have. On, on, and the PS, has anyone watched that yet on Netflix? Oh, my giddy arm. It is so strange. It's, so too, great. it's too original. Too original. Yeah, there you go. Can't, can't, can't please, Gav. <laughs> can't understand it. Don't know what's going on. Um, right, so Veronica Mars Reboot will air on Hulu in the US in 2019 and we'll keep you updated on where and when it will air in Australia. To binge or not to binge? This week we're going to talk about new Netflix series, The Good Cop. And uh, it's yeah, a bit of an odd combination. You've got Josh Groban, yes, the singer, and Tony Danza, yes, the Who's the Boss guy, in a police series. Um, and it takes the good cop, bad cop idea and puts it all in one family. We have father and son cops, both called Tony, with dad being a disgraced former officer who played a bit fast and loose with the law. And his son, also Tony, being a by-the-book stickler. You break one rule, they all break, Tony Jr. says while playing poker in episode two. That gives you a bit of an indication of his character. He's a real stick in the mud, while Dad is the life of the party. And despite their differences, they live together, with Dad sticking his nose into Junior's police business. I taught him everything I know, Tony Sr. says, except right from wrong, the son says. As, as you can get the impression, the dialogue is, is kind of heavy-handed and like, yeah. these are our characters. Just so you're clear, this is who our character is. It's kind of, yeah, there's no mistaking what's going on in this series. And that's kind of, it doesn't really feel like a Netflix show because of that. It's not a, no. bad, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. I don't mind not all Netflix shows being maniac and not all Netflix shows, um, you know, being the same. It's got a lighter, more humorous approach. It's kind of like um, NCIS in a way when the team all banter in between solving murders. But it does feel a little bit too silly for me. I don't think I will be watching again. Claire, you checked it out as well. What did you think of The Good Cop? Yeah, I'm mean, the same. I didn't love it and I didn't hate it. It was just a bit blah for me. I mean, it's always great to see everyone's favourite tiny dancer, Tony Danza, back on our screens. Do you like what I did there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's produced this and it's clearly been designed as a bit of a vehicle for his comeback. Josh Groban, who I can only ever think of as Barbara Streisand's son-in-law, um, no, son, stepson. Uh, no, yeah, that's Brolin. Been... That's Josh Brolin. Oh, oh that's Josh Brolin. <laughs> Let that be struck from the record. <laughs> who's Josh Groban then? He's Do the I one who him? sang with Celine Dion. That was his big break to fame and he's kind of been that pop opera. I feel like they're the same person, Gav. I'm just saying. <laughs> Have they ever been seen anyway. in the same room together? Have they? 
Who knows? But he's believable as stickler for the rules, good yeah. cop, Tony. Um, but it just feels like it, yeah, you're totally bang on it. It feels like it should be on a free-to-air network like Channel 10 or something. It, it doesn't feel edgy enough to be on Netflix. But I think it will probably appeal to the same kind of people who quite liked that show with Ashton Kutcher, The Ranch. Did you ever watch that? I really I hated not. it. I think I gave it half a star when I was reviewing it for the paper and, um, yeah, it actually, weirdly, sort of got two series, I think. But anyway, um, I'm not sure I'll watch another episode. If there's nothing else on, I might. But in this day and age of peak television, I, I really don't think that I will ever see another episode unless it's on Channel 10 and I'm flicking and it's late and I can't be bothered pressing my Apple TV remote and I just get stuck on something and can't be bothered changing the channel. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up for me. Right. There is always something else on. But, um, yeah, if you want some light-hearted uh, cop drama, uh, cop dramedy, I guess you should call it, um, The Good Cop is available on Netflix now. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. Now, as Matt says each week, the hidden gems are often the best one. And we've got another Emmy-winning show this time. It's been around for a while, but obviously it passed us by, so it might have passed you by. It's Godless. Claire, tell us about it. Yeah, Godless is on Netflix, and it really did pass us by. Um, We've been talking a lot of late, Gavin, about how frustrated we are to be drip-fed exposition in TV series and how we hate being taken for granted as audiences. Well, let me tell you this, Gavoir. Godless does not do that. In fact, for most of the first episode of this Western-style drama, starring Downton Abbey's Michelle Dockery as a frontier wife and Jeff Daniels, last seen in Dumb and Dumber 2, who actually won an Emmy for this um, as an outlaw desperado, you actually are left shaking your head wondering what the hell's going on. But the writing is really good, and so by two-thirds of the way through, even though it's not explicitly plot um, pointed out, you, you get a handle on the on the complicated plot quite quickly and you become very invested in how everything plays out. And what does play out is all about Jeff's character, a guy named Frank Griffin who's a menacing one-armed outlaw looking for a mysterious man named Ray Good. And Good is played by a guy called Jack O'Connell who's just brilliant, who was once a member of Frank's criminal cabal and he's made off with some money that they tried to steal from a train and he's stumbled onto this farm owned by the widow Alice Fletcher played by Michelle Dockery who's just great anyway I'm not going to tell you too much more about what happens but it's sort of a bit of a cat and mouse game between Frank the baddie and this mysterious guy called Roy Good and the sheriff and Michelle and it's all got Steven Soderbergh written all over it. He was the executive producer, I think, of this. And it's um, got a lot of accolades. Obviously, it's won some Emmys. And uh, look, if you're a fan of Western-style drama, you will, you will like this. But it's it's kind of in the same way vain as Deadwood, which I never actually massively got into. It's all a bit gory for me. But I kind of liked this, actually. Um, the thing that sets it apart is it's beautifully, beautifully, beautifully shot. Like, it's just stunning. And so anyone who loves top-shelf drama and well-executed, almost filmic kind of miniseries will really like this. And it's only, I think it's, is it eight episodes? It's not very long. And it's just beautifully shot. So if this sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. And Godless is available on Netflix now. And, yes, it, it won its Emmys for limited series. So that's it. There'll be no more until it's rebooted in 20 years' time. (laughs) 
So that's it for this week. But next week, we are going to talk about two good shows, The Good Place, which you mentioned earlier, and the, the Good Doctor, which are both coming back, and an excellent reality series, Survivor, both Australian and American. So tune in then. In the meantime, uh, tweet us. Tweet Mr. Matt Demby. Ask him where on earth he is. Yeah, where are you, Matt Where Demby? are you? Where in the world is Matthew Demby? Uh, and I am Claire and Gavin Scott 99. Chat to us on Twitter and speak yeah, to we you next it. week. Bye. Yeah, see you later, guys. Bye. 